0: This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. My name is Deborah Fitzgerald, editor of the Peninsula Pulse. And today we're going to be focusing on the election on April 4, and specifically the different questions that voters will find on the ballot when they go to vote April 4th or have, in fact, already encountered when they picked up their absentee ballot or are planning on voting earlier than April 4. So there are several referendums on the ballot. One of those is for the town of Egg Harbor residents. And that one specifically asks the residents if they want to have garbage and recycling services. They would be paying a special assessment if they were to say yes and the town proceeded with that advisory referendum. The other one for the Gibraltar school district voters is, do voters want to allow the district to borrow $29.8 million for a school facility improvement project? And then Washington Island school district voters have a question on their ballot as well to allow the district to exceed revenue limits up to $935,000 for each of two school years. And then we have three ballot questions that are applicable to all voters across the state in Wisconsin. And joining us on the line, waiting patiently through that introduction to walk us through what these ballot measures are, at least two of them, is Joan Corb. Hello, Joan. Hi, Deb. So Joan Corb is a career prosecutor. She also still works at different district attorney's offices around the state, and she is the executive director of the Wisconsin District Attorneys Association. And I do need to qualify also that Joan and I are good friends and go way back. So I just wanted to to put that out there. That doesn't diminish any of your credentials, Joan. I'd still ask you on no matter what. And my answers won't be any different. (laughs) So now the two questions that Joan is going to help us with are actually, these would be amendments to the Constitution. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And so one of them, of the three... One of them is not a constitutional amendment. It is actually an advisory referendum. And that one, that question is, shall able-bodied childless adults be required to look for work in order to receive taxpayer-funded welfare benefits? So basically that is an opinion type of thing. And very similar to the egg harbor, do you want townwide garbage and recycling. I mean, not similar in terms of the seriousness of the topic, but similar in that it's only advisory. So the other ballot measures, the other two ballot measures would amend the Constitution if voters voted yes for them. And they're really oddly phrased. If you're not in the criminal justice sector, then you might not really understand what these mean. So the first question is pertaining to conditions of release before conviction. And it is, shall section, and it goes into the section of Article of the Constitution be amended, to allow a court to impose on an accused person being released before conviction conditions that are designed to protect the community from serious harm. Joan, what the heck does that mean? Okay. Well, currently, the Wisconsin Constitution authorizes judges
2: to consider how likely an accused is to appear in court when they're trying to determine whether to impose a cash bond and how much that bail would be. And the two questions on the ballot, the first one ask if section 82 8.2 of article 1 of the constitution should be amended to allow a judge to impose upon you know so that someone can be released conditions that are designed to protect the community from serious harm right, right. now they can only consider whether or not they're
1: likely to return Okay, okay, let's do this more slowly, I think. Okay. So what do they consider now? How do they decide if the person is likely to show up? Like, what do they use as criteria to ascertain whether or not the person should show up? Okay, routinely, we look at the seriousness of the crime, you know, what the
2: penalties are. So let's say it's a felony battery depending upon the seriousness of the harm, let's say the person had broken bones. I mean, it could be up to you know a $10,000 fine and three and a half years in prison. So is someone likely to skip out and not return to court because they're facing a $10,000 fine and three and a half years of incarceration or imprisonment.
1: Okay, so likely the sentence that is on the line for the person is the biggest indicator of whether or not they may show up? That,
2: and then another one is, this is for people that have prior criminal cases pending, we will look to see if they have failed to appear in court previously. Okay. So if they've not shown up in the past, there's a good chance they may not show up in the future.
1: Okay. Are those the only two criteria that are usually taken into consideration when considering whether or not to cash bail? Is that what we're looking at here? Okay. For cash bail. So these two kind of work in conjunction. I should probably talk about the second one as well, right? So that we can just talk about them both together. Yes. Because, I mean,
2: they're, they're very intertwined. And when you ask, is, is this what a judge considers? Well, no, that's what they should consider, only what they should consider. But I can tell you, you know, all around the state, there are judges that consider other factors. And that's another reason these ballot initiatives are on our ballots in April.
1: Okay, so the second one is pertaining to cash bill before conviction. And again, shall section 8-2 of Article 1 of the Constitution be amended to allow a court to impose cash bail on a person accused of a violent crime based on the totality of the circumstances, including the accused's previous convictions for a violent crime, the probability that the accused will fail to appear, the need to protect the community from serious harm, and prevent witness intimidation and potential affirmative defenses. So the first one basically says, can judges consider these things? And then the second one is whether or not they'll release them on cash bail before conviction? Yes, because again, our constitution
2: now says that the only thing that a judge is to consider is how likely someone is to appear at future court appearances, not all these other factors.
1: Okay, so I guess the two-step question here is the part that confuses me the most. The conditions of release before conviction, that's question one, and then question two is cash bail before conviction. So what is the difference between those two? Well, what the Constitution says right now
2: is the judge is not supposed to consider conditions that are designed to protect the community from serious harm. Okay. Although
1: judges have been doing that all along. Okay, so then question one just pertains to what they can consider, and then question two pertains to cash bail before conviction.
2: For a whole slew of reasons other than just community protection and protect the community from serious harm.
1: So, if you were to vote yes for the first one and no for the second one, would that negate them or vote no for the first one, yes for the second one? I mean, do you have to vote yes, yes, or no, no for these in order for them to work effectively together? Yes, you would have to vote yes to make them consistent so why is that like why can't you just bundle what why doesn't question two just say the whole thing i mean it looks like it does well because number two specifically
2: looks at imposing cash bail
1: okay so then that is specific versus what cash bail versus what other kinds of bail?
2: cash bail as opposed to maybe a signature bond
1: okay are those common
2: Signature, oh yes, they're much more common than cash bonds. I would say the majority of defendants or accused people are
1: given signature bonds as opposed to cash bonds. Okay, so this is just a specific bond, cash bail. Yes, you can have, there's a number
2: of different types of bonds. There's a signature bond, or sometimes called a recognizance bond. You're released on your own recognizance. You sign a form, a bond form saying, I promise to return to court, you know, when directed to do so. Okay. And that signature bond may have a monetary amount attached to it. It could be a $500 signature bond. You're saying, if I don't show up for court, as I'm scheduled, I will post $500 cash
1: in the future because I didn't appear. Okay. So cash bail, what percentage would you say of people are given cash bail options? You can't speak for the entire state, I'm sure, but in your, I mean... In
2: my experience, I would say maybe a third, a quarter to
1: a third will get a cash bond. Okay. So why are we looking at changing the Constitution when it comes to just this specific type of bail?
2: Because our state constitution it does not allow a judge theoretically to impose a cash bond in sometimes very serious situations for instance when someone commits a homicide they almost 100 percent of the time they will get a cash bond in a high cash bond but let's say it's just a battery i mean it could be a serious battery where someone beats someone and they receive stitches, they may have gotten fractures, but this person may not have had any prior arrests or, you know, criminal convictions. And so as a prosecutor, we could not inform the court uh, prior violent offenses, prior convictions, uh, prior missed court appearances. So even though they're now accused of, you know, a very serious crime. The judge, because there is no factor saying that this person is not likely to miss court, the judge may feel that their hands are tied and they can only impose a signature bond with conditions that would often include no contact with the victim. You know, if alcohol or illegal substances were involved, they could you know, ordered them not to consume alcohol or controlled substances without a valid prescription, that type of thing. So then if this person, and this is what is driving a lot of this, even though there has been a push by advocates of victims and even prosecutors to amend the constitution for years. Because, you know, some judges stick very closely to the constitutional requirements that we have to show that the person is not likely to appear in court. And when a defendant or their attorney can show that, you know, they have no prior miscourt appearances, they're a lifelong member of the community, they are working in the community, they have a family, And they could say, well, there is no need here for a cash bond. And in fact, the Constitution says, you know, because this person is very likely that they will appear in court, you cannot set a cash bond. And sometimes there are judges that feel that their hands are tied, even though they believe that a cash bond would be appropriate. They can't impose a cash bond under those circumstances.
1: Okay. So a cash bond is basically used for the more serious crimes? Generally, yes. Okay. And right now with a cash bond, you can't actually talk about what this particular defendant has done in the past. So if they were convicted of homicide, for instance, which you probably wouldn't be dealing with them again because they might not be, you know, out of prison. But <laughs> if right. you were if you were dealing with a very serious offender, then the way that it is now, the judge can't consider that past history when setting cash bail. Is that how it works right now? Technically, unless the judge
2: decides that because they have this prior homicide on their record, and now they're facing another homicide, there's a good possibility that this person could, you know, flee the country. Right. I mean, and there have been some well-publicized cases where I believe it was maybe a Brown County. It was a a Fox Valley case years ago where there was a a homicide case and the person posted a half a million dollars and then
1: fled the country and never to return. Hmm. So the totality of the circumstances would be that prior record. But right now, judges are not supposed to look at that. But yet, if it is actually, if it could be used to ascertain that the person would not show up again, you know, then...
2: Right. Right. I mean, just two weeks ago, I had a case. This was in Fond du Lac, where the judge forfeited a $25,000 cash bond that the defendant's parents had posted, and he left the country. So what do you mean
1: by forfeited?
2: A forfeiture of a cash bond is when the person violates a condition of their bond and not showing up for court is a violation of their bond, then the judge will take that $25,000, and it goes generally into the county general fund then, unless they're are there are some other places where that money can go, like paying restitution, paying fines
1: and costs. But the state keeps it, bottom line. Or or the county. Yes, or the county. It depends on what kind of case it is. Okay. So that case, if this constitutional amendment had passed, would that have changed this at all? No, that won't change that. So people will still post cash bonds and they still won't show up. Yes. I guess is is your point. It's not a sure thing. But if you're looking, if, if a judge is more able to look at the totality of the circumstances without being accused of being unconstitutional in how they set bail, then wouldn't it be easier for a judge to look at the totality of circumstances if oh. these amendments were passed? Yes, okay. absolutely. And that's why victims rights groups
2: are behind these amendments because Wisconsin, I don't know if you know, but Wisconsin was the first state to enact a Crime Victims Bill of Rights, and that was way back in 1993. And then in 2019, Wisconsin passed what's called Marcy's Law, and Marcy's Law gives the victims of crimes rights that are in some ways equal to what a defendant enjoys. But one of the most important rights in Marcy's Law is that a victim is entitled to reasonable protection from an accused throughout the process. And without these two ballot measures, the judge is not supposed to consider the wishes of a victim in a crime. Okay. And so as prosecutors, we've sort of been in a bind for years because we have to look out for the interests of victims. In fact, under the Crime Victims Bill of Rights, prosecutors could actually be fined up to $1,000 if we did not look to protect the interests of crime victims. And, you know, and Marcy's law, made it even stronger, where it says part of Marcy's law is that they have, you know, rights to privacy, rights not to have unreasonable delays in their cases as they go through the court system. But there's a reasonable protection from an accused throughout the process is really, really important here. Because when a defendant flees and doesn't show up for court, it prolongs The whole process and a victim is not going to have their cases heard in a timely manner if we can't find the defendant
0: this episode of the door county pulse podcast is brought to you in part by door county medical center are you looking for a job in door county with excellent benefits culture and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs door county medical center is hiring for more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwannee Counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org careers.
1: Okay, so now these ballot measures, if they were approved and the constitution was amended, would mean that you would be able to say, you know, these victims could be hurt if this person were out on cash bail. Yeah, yeah, and that, ha- and that happens frequently. You hear of, you know, crime victims. I mean,
2: they're they're in a victim of a, an original crime, and then defendants get out of jail and they re-victimize the victim.
1: Okay, so that sounds like a good thing. Is there a downside to these ballot measures? I suppose the same arguments are being made
2: against these amendments, there's always the fear that you wind up with a two-tiered justice system where people that have the financial means, they can post a cash bond. Mm -hmm. where a poor person can't. I mean, a $500 cash bond is, you know, pennies for some people. But for the poor, a $500 cash bond, if they themselves can't post it and they can't find others to post it for them, it might mean that they're sitting in jail. They may lose a job. They may not be able to support their
1: family. So there's always that argument that's being made. Does that happen now though? Isn't that a reality of the justice system now? Oh, absolutely. How would this make that worse or change that? Well,
2: I think that some people feel it will make it worse because at least now some judges are leaning more toward following what our current constitution says. We can't look at all of these other factors you know, those five things that the amendment will broaden, you know, the seriousness of the offense, previous criminal record, probability the accused won't appear, the need to protect the public from serious harm, preventing intimidation of witnesses. If they, you know, ignore all of that, and you're just looking at how likely is it that this person is going to appear? Maybe you don't get quite as many cash bonds.
1: Right. So then this person is released and able because they, you know, they don't have a cash, they don't have cash bail to make. So they are released. And so with the totality of the circumstances being more dire for the more dangerous people, for the repeat offenders, How would that be a bad thing?
2: Well, it's still bad because, I mean, I would say the highest cash bonds that we get or most consistent cash bonds we get are often in domestic violence cases, in cases involving drug dealing or the possession of drugs with the intent to deliver them. And sometimes in, you know, the, the higher number of drunk driving cases, when you get to, you know, a third, fourth, fifth and higher, you know, drunk driving cases, there's often cash bonds associated with those. And oftentimes people that are convicted or arrested for drunk driving, oftentimes those are people in the community that have jobs and have families. And so right now, I think even courts, you know, despite what our current constitution says, when you have someone that has had three, four, five prior drunk driving convictions that, you know, people that are addicted to alcohol or you know, and lots of times people that are arrested on drug charges that it's likely that those people won't be available for court in the future. And sometimes, you know, we make it might sound like a ridiculous argument, but we will make arguments because we often have people in court. Right now, the drug epidemic is so bad that many people are arrested when law enforcement are summoned to a residence because someone has overdosed and then they find you know, drugs, especially fentanyl and heroin at their residence, along with drug paraphernalia. So they're, you know, often charged with possession of these drugs. And you have someone that's just overdosed. And if they're out in the community again, you know, they're likely not to be available for court in the future, because they may overdose again. And I can tell you, we've had numerous defendants that have overdosed
1: multiple times. So then it sounds to me like you're making a case for keeping them in jail in order to protect themselves. Sometimes. And so if they were allowed so then this law once again would be better because it allows you to look at the totality of the circumstances. Exactly. So it doesn't seem like there's too much of a downside to these. Like or at least I'm not I'm not seeing it. No. And I mean, I think
2: that, you know, the downsides are the downsides we've always had. You know, the more people that are sitting in jail awaiting, you know, their trial or sentence saying, sometimes we have jail overcrowding. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the opponents of these two measures say, we'll have more jail overcrowding. So communities are going to pay more in taxes because you're going to have to build bigger or newer jails. So... uh, I guess it's the same arguments that have always been out there to not amend the constitution to allow for judges to consider all these other factors. Okay. And I think that you know protecting the public, protecting, you know, victims of crimes is paramount here and I still believe, you know, the US constitution still requires that bail, cash bails they cannot be excessive, so there's always the opportunity of defendants if they can request a new bond hearing every 72 hours. Oh, so if they have, let's say, the first time we see a defendant at a bond hearing, let's say they'll set a $1,000 cash bond, and sometimes the defendant or the accused thinks that they'll be able to post it. Well, 72 hours later, they're not able to post it because the person that they thought might post it for them won't. So then they can ask the judge, you know, for another bond hearing and they come in and say, I'm not able to post $1,000 cash. I can post $250. Then they ask the judge to reduce their cash bond from $1,000 to $250. Sometimes the judge will do that, sometimes they'll, you know, be somewhere in between, but you know, that first cash bond that a judge sets, it's not set in stone. Sure. You can go back and revisit that issue.
1: Okay. So these amendments actually wouldn't seem to fix the biggest problem that I hear surrounding cash bail, which is that it disproportionately keeps defendants in jail before they're even proven guilty, of those who are, you know, on the lower socioeconomic ladder, like poorer people. And this wouldn't change that at all.
2: People of color, I mean, there's more people of color that are held on cash bonds. And oftentimes it's because they are in the lower socioeconomic groups.
1: Yes. And so that definitely doesn't seem fair, but this doesn't seem like it seems like a different law that needs to be changed in order to address that so that there is like a sliding scale for cash bail or something based yeah, upon... I mean, some
2: countries upon- have it. I mean, I know, I think it's the country of Finland. They do have sliding scale bonds and fines. I just remember, I think with the president of Nokia, maybe, you know, 15 years ago, got a drunk driving and he had to pay something like a $100,000 fine they confiscated or forfeited his Mercedes Benz you know so that was significant that was a significant penalty to him and we don't have anything like that
1: yeah, see? So that's what we need. But we should. Yes. I mean, absolutely. It should be probably
2: a sliding fee
1: scale. Right. So so there you go. I could single-handedly <laughs> reform the justice system. Yes. So, so it doesn't seem, though, that these uh, – you know, I have heard that because as soon as you put the word cash bail in anything, then I think that system of inequity, which is very real – always arises. But it doesn't seem to me, based upon our conversation today, that these two amendments really have anything to do with that part of the inequity of the cash bail system.
2: No, they don't. And I think, you know, most judges in Wisconsin, they do take into account the accused ability to pay. So, You know, if I were arrested, you know, a $10,000 cash bond for me might be high, but it's not going to be nearly as onerous for me as it would be for someone that was unemployed or, you know, marginally employed.
1: Right, right, sure. All right. Well, Joan, I think we actually have shed some light on this. I feel a lot less confused now than I did at the beginning. So that's always a good thing. I mean, it's it's also the language that they use for these ballot measures so much and of the I time agree it's, with you there yeah it's not even english i mean you can't even really right. parse the first one it's it's so difficult the second one is a little bit easier
2: right and even in this one because you know this one talks about serious harm right now our constitution says serious bodily harm it's mm. bodily it's taken out and we have you know and what is serious harm well i can tell you the legislature right now has introduced legislation that would actually define what serious
1: harm is. After the fact.
2: Yeah, even though they could pass this legislation
1: now. Right. But it's not going to do much until these... Constitutional amendments passed. Yeah, see, that seems a little backwards because if I knew what the definition of serious harm, see, I think I know that as a reasonable person what serious harm would be. But I guess if I had to be specific about it, you know, is it that somebody has, you know, stabbed somebody or somebody has broken ribs? I mean, what is actual serious harm? So I would vote probably differently. Based upon what that definition is. So it seems like you should define the words before you approve them to amend the Constitution right. with them. But
2: even like right now, serious bodily harm is defined differently in different
1: statutes. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So there's a, there's a whole nother rabbit's hole. We could go down on this one. But (laughs) the fact is they are going to be defining these terms after we pass these constitutional amendments. Okay. That does seem a little backwards. But still, you know, when I look at
2: any of the language in a statute that I have to prove, you know, criminal statutes I have to prove them beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm -hmm. So what I say is serious harm, is everyone on a jury going to find that that is serious bodily harm or just serious harm? Mm -hmm. Because right now it's bodily harm. So by changing it to serious harm, we can now include emotional harm, you know, property damage, I you know, see. and other types of harm.
1: Okay. So keeping it a little looser is a little better and not so specific. That's kind of my takeaway yeah. from that. Right. Okay. Well, Joan, you have helped mightily, definitely. So for all of <laughs> those shit. for those people who are going to vote on April four, if you've already cast your ballot, then you probably have received some kind of advice on these constitutional ballot amendments before you voted. But if you haven't, then you've heard it here first on, you know what these actually mean and what kind of an impact they can have from somebody who has worked in criminal prosecution for for decades. So thank you very much, Joan, for joining us and talking with us about this. And you're listening to the Dora County Pulse podcast. Thanks for joining us.